far beyond the capacity of our minds to, to meditate. It's like trying to drink in an ocean using a thimble. There's just too much. It's overwhelming. The, the infinite depths of the love of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. It's just overwhelming. It's glorious, and we need an eternity to rejoice in it and to praise Him for it and to delight in that love. Now, we have to be careful as we consider the love of God and the joy that the Spirit of God works in us and through us. We have to be careful that we don't fall into some kind of an Eastern idea of God as being some kind of absolute stillness, some kind of nirvana. That's absolutely not what or who God is. The God of the Scripture, the true God, is a God who lives in eternal and infinite love in the divine being. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, infinite oceans of deep divine love between the persons of the Trinity pour and flow back and forth like infinitely high cascading waterfalls of irrepressible and infinite joy and delight in one another. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful thing. We, the, the Scripture doesn't give us a lot of detail or information about what happens within the Trinity. These are things that sometimes the Lord gives us a little peek and, and gives us a little bit of an idea. And we'll look at a few of these things right now. But the first thing I want to establish, first of all, is the relationship between glory and joy. If you turn to 1 Thessalonians 2.20, 1 Thessalonians 2.20, you'll see that the apostle uses them almost as, as, as synonyms. They're very, very closely related. 1 Thessalonians 2.20, where he says to the church, For you are our glory and joy. And if you look, even in the Old Testament, glory and joy are often connected. And the scriptures, we don't have time to go into all these texts right now, but the scriptures describe God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as, as glorying the Father, glories in the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit glories in the Father and the Son. And, and if you want to look into that more deeply, you can read at home John chapter 16 and John chapter 17, in which you, you, in the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in the teaching to the disciples before that prayer, he describes how the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, or, or glories in Him, delights in Him. The Son glorifies the Father. The Father glorifies the Son. And then we get one other little hint of how that works back in Matthew chapter 3. You remember many months ago we, we heard a sermon on the end of Matthew chapter 23 when the Lord Jesus is baptized and, and he's anointed for his messianic office. And you remember that the voice from heaven spoke, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In other words, in whom I am delighted. So there's beloved son, there's love, and there's well pleased or delighted. There's joy, love and joy together. Love and joy in the very trinity, in the very being 
of God. Well, we were created to live in that ocean of love, joy, and glory. That is our natural habitat, like a fish should be in the sea, so men, women, and children made in the image of God ought to be just immersed in this ocean of divine love, joy, and glory. And the story of the Bible is the story of God working to bring us back from the desert of sin and death into the ocean of his loving, joyful, and glorious presence. And so we sang Psalm 16 at the beginning of this service. And in the rhymed version, it's pretty clear and even clearer in the, in the, the written version in the, in the Bible. In your presence, verse 11, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now that's really the secret to living well, to understand that, that the only real joy, the only true joy, the only joy that has any meaning or significance or worth is to be found in God and in his presence and in his service and in his love. So as I said, throughout the scriptures, the Lord is leading us, guiding us, teaching us, drawing us back to that understanding which we threw away in the fall. If you turn in Deuteronomy chapter 12, for instance, Deuteronomy 12, uh, verse 7, and here in the Old Testament, the Lord is giving instructions about Old Testament worship, and we often emphasize, you know, the sacrifices and the sin, and they needed forgiveness, and this is all true, and that if they didn't do things exactly right, then the holy anger of God would be roused against them. And that's true as well. But notice also the little sparks of what will just burst into flame in the New Testament. And that is the emphasis on joy in the presence of God. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 7, he says, go do your, 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 your sacrifices and your uh, ceremonial Worship, and there you shall eat before the Lord your God, because they would have a, a fellowship meal after the sacrifice, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. And look at verse 12. It's repeated. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, and your male servants and your female servants, the Levite that is within your towns. You shall rejoice. Eat, drink, feast in the presence of God. Reconcile to him through the blood of the covenant. Rejoice. Look at verse 18. You shall eat your tithe, the special tithe that they had to collect. You shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose. And then look at the end of this verse. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all that you undertake. Look at chapter 14. Flip the page. Chapter 14, 26. 14.26, he says, at the end of this verse, you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. So, so Old Testament worship was a lot of things. It had to be a lot of things. It had to be holy. It had to be very careful. There were all kinds of rules and restrictions to come into God's presence. There were limitations. But there was also great feasting and delight and rejoicing. You can go through the Psalms and see how often God's people are just so happy 
Rejoice, the Lord is king. Rejoice to come into his presence. How glad I was when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You see it in 1 Chronicles 16.10, if you turn there very quickly. 1 Chronicles 16.10, then David is finally bringing the ark back into Jerusalem, doing it the right way this time. The last time they didn't do it right and somebody died. And now 1 Chronicles 16.10 David's very happy because it worked, and so he's singing a song. And, and, and see what he says. As the ark is coming to Jerusalem, he says, 1 Chronicles 16, 10, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continuously. There's joy to be found in the presence of God. Even the old people, the the old covenant people understood that. Now, that that kind of makes us perhaps a little bit embarrassed, right? Sometimes we don't feel so much joy on a Sunday morning. We've got to drag ourselves out of bed and dress the kids and find their shoes and all those little moments of conflict as we try to get out of the door on time and often late. And and there's not always a lot of joy. We, We sometimes mess that up. As we go through the scriptures, we see that that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to see that in his presence, there's just delight. Look at 2 Chronicles 30. If you move to the second book of Chronicles, chapter 30, for a long time, God's people have not been keeping the law and the Passover hasn't been kept for many, many years. And then finally, Hezekiah figures out um, what should be happening. And they they go back to fulfilling the law and and, and there's great joy. Look at one uh, sorry, 2 Chronicles 30, 25. Uh, the whole assembly gets together. And then verse 26, there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. They're delighting to be worshiping God. They're delighting to be in his presence. And then look at Nehemiah. If we turn to the book of Nehemiah. And we look at chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah. And you'll see there where the same kind of dynamics happening here. It's been a long time since people have really paid a lot of attention to the law of God. So in Nehemiah 8 verses 1 through to 8, they're reading the law. They're reading the scriptures. Look at verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And they bowed their heads. They worshipped. And then look at verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense. They interpreted it. This is preaching so that the people understood the reading. And then look at the, look at the response of God's people. They're teaching God's people, verse 9. And the people, as they hear the law and realize that they've been so far from the law, they weep as they hear the words of the law. And then look at verse 10. Look what... Look what Nehemiah says to them. He says to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so they say, this is a a Lord's day. This is a, a day of rest, a day of worship. Rejoice in the word of God. Rejoice in the worship of God. Rejoice in the presence of God. Look at verse 11. 
The Levites, they're not sitting there saying, yeah, you guys are bad and you should be weeping. No, they say, calm down, be quiet. This day is holy. Don't be grieved. Go your way. And so they do, verse 12. They went their way to eat and drink and to send portions. They're feasting, they're celebrating, and there was great rejoicing. Why? Look at the end of the verse 12. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Because God is speaking life and salvation into their hearts and lives. And so we could go on and on, but the the scriptures are replete with all kinds of descriptions of God's people finding their joy in him. But here's something which is fascinating, something which is breathtaking, something which is even more astonishing. And that's this, that not only do God's people find their joy in him, but God finds his joy in his people, in us. Look at Isaiah 62. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5. Look how God describes how he looks at us. Isaiah 62, verse 5, he says, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Isn't it beautiful when you see a new couple and they're just lost in each other's love? They just, the whole world disappears. They just, they just have eyes for each other. They just delight in each other. And God uses that to say, I, I love you, and I have eyes for nothing else. I just love you so much. I find my joy and delight. I rejoice over you, my people. Look at Isaiah 65, 17. If you just go a few pages further, Isaiah 65, 17. And God is speaking about the renewal of all things in the future. And he says, Behold, I create new heavens and new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad... And rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. That's God's goal for his people, for the church. Not that we're a great big bunch of party poopers and grumpy people that are always telling everybody what they're doing wrong. But God creates the church to be a joy, to be a gladness. And then look at verse 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. God not only loves you with an eternal love, brother and sister, but congregation, God delights in you. How is that possible that God delights in us? We know who we are. We know what we're worth. We know what we've done. We know what we deserve. But God comes to us in Christ and says, I love you, and you are precious to me, and I rejoice in you. I find my joy in you. Well, this is is all in the Old Testament. What was enjoyed under the shadows of the Old Covenant, we in Christ enjoy in far fuller measure, because in Christ, God invites us into the Holy of Holies. The curtain is ripped open. The way is clear. And the Spirit of the living God comes to live in us as His temple. And we participate in the life of the triune God. This is mind-boggling. 
those oceans and waterfalls and cataracts of divine love and joy pour over us and pour into us and take our breath away. Look at John 14.20 for a moment. If you turn to the Gospel of John 14.20 and see what the Lord Jesus says there, 14.20. He says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father. Well, that's okay. We know that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are all united in one being. And, but look what he says now. And you in me, and I in you. And look at, look at verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Well, we read about that in John chapter 15, verses 1 through to 11. We read about what it is to be in Christ, to abide in Christ, is to have a living and vital union by the Spirit. To abide in Him means that He abides in us. John 15 verse 4, we read that. His Word abides in us. John 15 verse verse 7, we abide in His love. His joy is in us, and our joy may be full. Words are not enough, brothers and sisters, to describe this. That, that God in Christ includes us in the life of the Trinity without erasing the distinction creator and, cre- and creature, without cre- erasing the distinction between God and people. He brings us to the very limits of humanity, the most glorious and exalted limits. If he would bring us one step further, we would become God, which is obviously impossible. But he brings us as far as it's possible to participate in who he is. What does that mean? Well, it means that in Christ we find joy and delight in God. We we love what he loves. We delight in what he delights in. We desire to do what he desires to do. That's the meaning of our life. We, we glorify God. We, we enjoy Him forever. He is our highest joy. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. His joy is our joy. And He delights in Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we delight in Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He delights in His people, the church. And so we have joy in his people, the church. We, didn't, we sang that, right? Psalm 16. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. We, we don't come together on the Lord's Day and we don't meet with each other during the week and love one another and find joy and delight in one another because we all have the same political understanding of the current situation or because we all have the same um, position on certain minor issues of church order. We don't find that we love one another and that we enjoy and delight in one another for anything like that. But we love one another and we rejoice in one another because we see each other as temples of the living God. Because we see Christ in one another. And we love Christ. And so we love those in whom Christ dwells powerfully by his word 
and by his spirit. We've got we to focus on that. The joy of the spirit and the joy in the spirit is not like the fake joy of the world. It's not temporary. It's not easily robbed. It is infinite. It is eternal. It is irrepressible. It is, says the Lord Jesus to his disciples, a joy which cannot be taken away from us. And so the joy of the world to come has already come pouring into our lives. It's already transforming us. It's already working in us more and more the, the, the character of the kingdom. So what does Paul say to the Romans 14, 17? If you turn in your Bible to Romans 14, 17, he gives us a good reminder. He says, he's speaking here, about the church which was passing judgment on one another. They had, they had one more issue that they were all divided on, and some people were on this side and some people were on that side. And they all thought they were right. And they all thought, if people don't think like me, what's going to happen to the church? Now, what does Paul say? Romans 14, verse 17. He says, listen, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That was the issue they were arguing about. But the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. That's the kingdom of God. Joy in the Holy Spirit. And that joy is so powerful. It's so irrepressible that it actually even grows when life is hard, when, when life hurts, when there's pain, and when there's affliction, this divine joy which the Spirit of the Lord Jesus works in us just grows. You can beat up on it, you can cut it, you can attack it, you can crush it, and it just gets bigger and greater and more powerful and more delightful, and more glorious. It doesn't depend on the situation, because it depends on God. It depends on Christ. It depends on the Spirit. And so, while I don't have time to go through all the text references, but let's just look at a few very quickly. 2 Corinthians 6.10. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, Paul is speaking about all of the afflictions he's going through as a missionary. And look what he says in, in verse 10. He says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The more grief and sadness there is, this is kind of counterintuitive, for the Christian, the more joy. Well, how does that work? Well, look at 2 Corinthians 7.4. 2 Corinthians 7.4, at the end of the verse, he says, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with what? With, with bitterness, with grumpiness, with lashing out to God and seeing what's going on here. No, in all of our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. That's true of Paul. That's true of the churches. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2. I think it's on the same page or maybe the next page, 2 Corinthians 8 2. And he's speaking about the churches of Macedonia. And what does he say about them? For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Well, look at Acts 13.52. And 
If we quickly flip there, Acts 13.52, the disciples are persecuted and attacked, and there's a setback, Acts 13.52, right at the end of the chapter, there's persecution stirred up against them, they have to actually flee the area, and what does that do to them? Well, look at verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Well, we could, there are lots more verses we can go to. We don't have time. But that is a unique characteristic of the people of God, the servants of God. And that's important for us to remember, brothers and sisters. As, as the world gets darker and as the world becomes more hateful towards God and his people and God's word, then sometimes we get on the defensive, and sometimes we want to fight back, and sometimes we want to defend ourselves and, and argue and, and, and complain and maybe do a bit of whining and say, well, you know, we don't have our rights anymore, and Christians are being mistreated, and that's not fair. You don't read that in the pages of Scripture. You don't read that. The worse things get, the worse God's people are treated, the more they just overflow with joy. But for that to happen, there has to be joy to overflow. Maybe you, I read it on the internet a few years ago, and maybe you read it as well. Like if you're walking along and somebody bumps you, you're carrying a mug or a glass, somebody bumps you, what's going to come out? Well, whatever's in the mug's going to come out. If it's coffee and you spill it, there'll be a coffee stain on the carpet. If there's water, then water will stain the carpet, which will be a lot better, obviously, in mum's opinion. And... If we're full of anger and defensiveness and, and all kinds of works of the flesh, then when we get bumped and when we get bruised and we get knocked around, then what's going to come out? All the ugly stuff that we've got inside, right? The anger, the selfishness, the self-serving attitude. But if we're full of the love and the joy of the Holy Spirit, then the more we get bumped around, the more we get knocked over, and cut, and crushed, what's going to come out of us is that love, joy, and peace. And because of that, James can say what he says. You, you turn to James chapter 1, those very well-known words, James 1 verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces stead. Fastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What does that mean? Well, it means this the scripture teaches us that every pain, every hurt, every suffering, every affliction, every time we're crushed, every time we're persecuted, every time we're mistreated, every time we're attacked. God is sovereignly using those things to sculpt us and to remind us that he is preparing us for glory. And that's why Paul says to the Romans, Romans 5, 3, he says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That's what Christians do. And only Christians can do that because we have the Spirit who helps us do it. We rejoice in our sufferings. We have joy in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. That's why we're happy. That's why we rejoice in affliction, because we know what God's doing. He's using affliction. He's using pain to burn away the fake joy, to cut away out of our lives all of the grasping for the things of this world to satisfy us. Because God wants us to be satisfied. God wants us to find our joy in Him, in His love. He wants us to delight and to rejoice in Him and in each other as He dwells in us. That's something we need to consider this morning, brothers and sisters. Where do I need disciplining from God? What do I need cut out of my heart and my life? Maybe I need to ask God for more affliction for myself. Maybe as a a congregation, we need to ask God for more affliction if we're getting too worldly-minded, if we're being too slow to grow in holiness. Maybe there's too much love for the world in my heart. Maybe there's there's too much of seeking the pleasures and the comforts of this life in our congregation. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote, as he often does, he wrote so uh, pointedly in this way. He said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And then he uses this example. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the seaside. We are far too easily pleased. Brothers and sisters, as the Lord sets before us, Galatians 5.22, that second word, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Let us not be too easily pleased. Let us not be pleased and satisfied with a fake joy, with a joy offered by the enemy, by the lusts of the flesh and the works of the flesh. And if you are finding yourself kind of tied down by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and if you've been kind of carried along by this worldly enjoyment and, and you, you're keeping your Christianity as a nice little icing on the cake, as a nice little eternal life insurance for when you need it someday in the future, then I say to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't be a fool. Because there is no true joy outside of Christ. And there is no true joy that the world can ever offer us. And every time we sin, every time we choose to sin, we're telling God, I don't believe you. I don't believe that joy and satisfaction are in you. I believe that this sin will give me the joy I'm looking for. So every sin is the height of foolishness amongst many other things. And that's why, brothers and sisters, as God's people, we rejoice. We count it all joy when God comes with those pruning scissors. We read that, right, in John. Every branch which does not bear fruit, he cuts off. But every branch which bears fruit, he, he prunes so it bears more fruit. And we say, bring it on, but the pruning hurts. It hurts, but, but I want it to happen because I want to be more fruitful in Christ, more fruitful in the Spirit. And so in the power of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, we can, we can delight and rejoice in affliction. Isn't that, isn't that counterintuitive? Isn't that amazing? 
Somebody put it this way. We can kiss the wave that throws us against the rock. If God brings hard things into our life, and they bring us closer to Jesus, then we rejoice in them. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Brothers and sisters, is that what the world sees in us? Is that what our city sees in this church? Do, is the first thing they think of when they see, say, you know, what Canadian Reformed Church is, do they say, well, that's that community where there's just so much love and there's so much joy. Is that what marks us? Is that what distinguishes us? Brothers and sisters, is that the first thing that people think of and see when they see your family, when they see your marriage, when they interact with you at work or in the neighborhood? Do they think, first of all, wow, there's that family, there's that couple, there's that man, there's that woman, there's that child, full of a love which is otherworldly, a joy which is otherworldly. Brothers and sisters, you can't fake this kind of love. You can't fake this kind of joy. You can't. You can't work really hard to be like this. Never going to get there. The only way to have this love, the only way to be full of this joy, is if it is a fruit of the power of the Spirit of God in your heart and your life. When you are united with Christ by true faith. And when you live in the power of the Spirit, a life of faith and repentance and belief, then the powerful working of the Holy Spirit produces fruit unto eternal life. And that's why we long to meet every week as much as we can in, in, in person as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because because the service is the worship of the Spirit, and this is where we, we meet with the triune God, with His beloved people, where we hear His words of love, where He nourishes us at His banqueting table, and His banner over us is love, where He nourishes our love and our joy in Him and in one another. And so with the psalmist in Psalm 84, we say, my soul longs. Yes, my, my soul faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Going to church and being with God and God's people is not just one more thing in my week. It is the very power which drives forward my life and my advance in holiness and in service to Christ. And so together with the, with the prophet Jeremiah, 15 verse 16 of Jeremiah, we say this, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Brothers and sisters, here as gathered congregation in the workshop of the Holy Spirit, we experience the most exquisite and the most intense taste of the joy of the Spirit of God this side of eternity. And the more we drink Him in, the more we drink Christ in, the more we drink in His Word, the more the Spirit pours into our hearts and lives with His love and His joy. It just keeps taking away our breath. 
as it pours over us and as it wells up within us. It's just going to keep getting better until the day when our joy will be full. And when we will come into the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and we will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We don't know what heaven's going to be like on this new earth, this heaven and earth together. We have no idea. But one thing we do know, it's going to be full of the most mind-blowing love and joy beyond all description. And so we'll sing Psalm 30 now after the sermon. Psalm 30 talks about going through the night, through the distress of sin in a world that's broken, going through affliction and sadness and pain. And and we'll sing that, that the morning is coming, the night is ending. And we will sing in a few moments, you turn my mourning and distress to joyful dance and happiness. You stripped off my sackcloth of despair and gave me robes of joy to wear. Oh, Lord, my God, for your great favor, I will give thanks and praise forever. Amen.